And as you are seated, let me say thank you for being with us at Journey today. For those of you who are watching at our video teaching service today, thank you for being with us where you are. I look forward to being back with you next week. And for those of you who might be joining us online from anywhere in the world, thanks for being with us at Journey today from wherever you are. We're in Mark chapter 4 today. If you have a Bible, Mark chapter 4 is where we are going to be hanging out and having our Bible study time. And as we jump into Mark chapter 4, you might pull your notes out of your bulletin so that you can follow along or fire up your Journey Church International app. If you're brand new, whether here or at our video teaching service, I don't have a Bible. I don't have your app. Don't worry. All the scripture we read will be right here on the screen. So you'll easily be able to follow along with our Bible teaching today. Before we jump into the Bible, let me let you jump into my past a little bit. So my dad was a coach my entire life. Um, growing up from the moment I could walk to when I graduated from high school, my dad was coaching some type of varsity sport from girls basketball to football to baseball. Um, if, if you could coach it, he did, which meant I grew up at a lot of sporting events, which means I had dinner a lot of nights at concession stands, um, which means to this day, my favorite foods today still are like hot dogs and popcorn because that's what I grew up eating. I could eat Every day of my life for lunch, a quick trip hot dog. Every day of my life. I'd probably only live till 45, but I would enjoy those 45 years. And every time I go to a major city, I have to see if they have any kind of specialized hot dogs. Anytime I go to a sports stadium, whether I'm going to a Royals game or Yankee Stadium, I believe old Yankee Stadium has the best hot dogs, by the way, in professional sports. Anytime I go see a college football game, whether it's at a small college or at Ohio State where, where I grew up in southern Ohio, um, I have to try the hot dogs. Um, and a few weeks ago, Danielle and I were in Denver, um, and we passed a street vendor selling hot dogs at 7.30 a.m., and I was like, I'm going to get a hot dog for breakfast. And she's like... It's ridiculous. And I was like, but I've got it. I've never had a Denver hot dog from a street vendor. I love hot dogs. I'll get a hot dog. I'll put ketchup on one side. I'll put mustard on the other side. I'll often put a line of relish down the middle. I'll try to smash the bun as much as I can. I love hot dogs. And a few years ago, Danielle and I were in Chicago and Chicago is famous for their hot dogs. We were riding bikes along um, Lake Michigan and there was a hot dog vendor. And I told Daniel, I got to stop and get a hot dog. So I stopped and I got a hot dog. Um, and I, you know, they said, what do you want on your hot dog? And I was getting ready to order my hot dog, ketchup, mustard, and a little bit of relish. And I saw this sign hanging in the window of the place. It is considered bad manners and harmful to your taste buds to put ketchup on your hot dog within the city limits of Chicago. And I asked the person inside, is that real? And he's like, yeah, we don't put ketchup on hot dogs in Chicago. And I was like, well, I guess I'll just take mustard. Um, Chicago-style hot dogs. If you ever go to Chicago, don't get ketchup on. They won't put ketchup on your hot dog. In Chicago, you have to eat hot dogs with only mustard. You say, why in the world are you talking to us about hot dogs this morning? I'm really, I don't want to talk to you about hot dogs. I want to talk to you about mustard, actually. I want to talk to you about mustard. You say, why do you want to talk to us about mustard? Because Jesus used a story about mustard to talk to us about faith. We are starting today a brand new series called The Parables of Jesus. All summer long, for the next 12 weeks, we will be looking, we will be following Jesus around, and we will be learning from his parables, his stories that he told that teach us spiritual lessons. And today we're going to talk about mustard, because Jesus talked about Mustard, And we're going to learn how to mature in our faith by looking not just at mustard, but from the mustard seed. Because we're here today not to talk about hot dogs, really, or mustard, but about our faith. Let's ask God if he would help us both here, if you're at home. For those of you who are at our video teaching service, let's just bow our heads quickly. Let's take a deep breath. 
And would you just from your heart to God in this room, in your living room, maybe sitting on the sidelines of a game, sitting in our video teaching service today, would you just kind of clear your head and heart for the next 25 minutes? And would you ask God today to speak to your heart about your faith? Ask God today to use mustard to mature your faith. God, today... We have hopes that you will show us how to better understand our faith and follow you. So speak to us, Lord. Use mustard to mature our faith today. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to be hanging out. We're going to start in verse 30. We're only going to go through verse 34 today. You might keep your Bible open. We'll move around in it as we teach today. Mark chapter 4 says this. Again, he said, he is Jesus. Again, he said, what shall we say that the kingdom of God is like. Or what parable? You might circle that word parable in your Bible. So we're going to talk about all summer. Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth, yet when it's planted, it grows and it becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade with many other similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. We have two goals today as we kind of kick off this series, the parables of Jesus. And here are our goals. Number one, we want to learn what is a parable. We were just told in Mark chapter four, Jesus never taught without using parables. So if we are followers of Jesus who want to understand the teaching of Jesus, we should know what a parable is. We should be able to define it and we should be able to go deeper into the meaning of the story. What is a parable? It's going to set the stage for the entire summer. And then number two, what's Jesus trying to teach me through this parable? Those are our goals today. What is a parable? Jesus said, I don't teach without parables. We're going to, we're going to learn what a parable was and then why Jesus would do that. And then number two, what is Jesus trying to teach me through this parable? The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. There's your lesson. Say, what, is, what, is that, what does that mean? What is the lesson? Good question. We're going to try to dig into that today. And, and the goal today is not just to answer those questions. Because we're not in class. We're in church. The purpose of a classroom is learning. Teach me something so that I can learn it. And, and then I can regurgitate it on a test. We're not in class. We're in church. The purpose of a classroom is learning. The purpose of a church service is growth. It's development. It's transformation. Sometimes you have to learn new things to grow to new levels, but we have to understand if what we learn doesn't eventually change how we live, I have failed. Because the goal of today, the goal of church is never just to learn. If what we learn does not change how we live, we have failed. So today we want to learn with the goal of life change. And what do we want to learn? Question one, what is a parable? What is a parable? Listen, that's a great question. Christian, what's a parable? Anytime that you ask a question that a disciple asks, that's a good question. The disciples ask lots of questions. If you follow the three-year teaching ministry of Jesus, you will see his disciples, almost every time he preached a sermon, they would come to Jesus at the end of the sermon and say, that was an incredible message. 
then what exactly did it mean? Um, they came to Jesus and they said, hey, can you teach us to pray? We see you pray, but we don't know how to pray. That's a good question. Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? Um, they would ask Jesus. He spoke on forgiveness. And then they would say, well, how many times should we forgive people? Should we keep forgiving people after they've hurt us? And then they say they're sorry and we forgive them. And then they hurt us again. Like, do we keep forgiving them one or, one or two more times, seven times? How many times do we forgive people? That's a, that's a good question. They ask Jesus every now and then, hey, where are we going to eat when this is all done? That's a good question, you know, as you're leaving church. Church is over. Like, where, where, where are we going to eat now? Now, just don't all go to the same place, so you have to wait in line. They would ask Jesus. I think this is a good question. Some of you need to pause before you hit submit and ask Jesus this question. Hey, Jesus, should we fight with people who disagree with us? The disciples actually ask him, when a town rejected Jesus, should we go beat them up? Some of you, before you hit submit on Facebook, should ask Jesus, do you want me to fight with this person just because they don't agree with me? Because he will tell you what he told his disciples. No, don't do that. That is not going to advance our kingdom. And then they asked Jesus in Matthew 13, what's a parable? Great question. What's a parable? So let's look at Matthew chapter 13. Actually, the next two weeks will be in Matthew chapter 13. But in it, Jesus said, here's, here's what parables are. Here's why I use them. The disciples came to Jesus and they asked him, why do you speak to the people in parables? Great question. He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. And he begins to quote some Old Testament scripture. Though seeing, they don't see. Though hearing, they don't hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, Jesus said, because they see. Blessed are your ears because they, they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets in the Old Testament, many righteous people throughout the History of the world have longed to see what you see, but they did not see it. They've longed to hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. Several things to touch on. First, the question, why do you talk in parables? It seems to confuse people. Maybe we're missing some of the crowd who don't understand stories. Why do you speak in parables? Parable is a Greek word that's actually made up of two words, parabalo. If, you, if your child goes to a least summit school, they probably in every classroom have a para. You say, what is a para? It's someone who comes alongside someone to help. Balo is a comparison. A paraballo, a parable, means to throw or to lay or to place alongside of for the purpose of comparison. You say, what is a parable? It's a story where you lay two things beside each other so you can compare them. You say, what kind of things? Two things like the kingdom of God and a mustard seed. Two things like a field and a heart. Two things like someone who, who needs help and a story about a good Samaritan. A, a parable is something that throws two things beside each other and says, you can understand this one better by knowing what this one is. One of the interesting facts that I learned as I put together this series is the word parable is found 45 times in the Old Testament. We think this is a Jesus thing. We think of parables as a, as a New Testament thing. But the Old Testament said the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Jewish Savior of the world would come and he would transform hearts and he would do it by this teaching method called parables. He would use stories. Very simply defined for you and I and here is going to be the key 
to the answer. Why, why would Jesus teach in parables? A parable is an earthly story that is revealed to have a spiritual meaning for those who will seek out the deeper meanings of it. That's the real key. A parable is an earthly story about things like plants, mustard seeds, that has a spiritual meaning, but you never know that unless your heart is, is hungry. You never know that unless your heart wants to seek out more. Jesus quotes the prophet of Isaiah, and Isaiah was talking to a people in a nation of Israel who kind of had everything but a heart for God. Isaiah prophesied for nearly 50 years, and he started his ministry when their nation was strong militarily, when their straight nation was strong economically, when the nation had strong imports and exports, but spiritually they were on the decline. And they went to church on Sunday and kind of praised God for all the good things going on. But Isaiah was a prophet sent by God to tell the people, you're just playing church. You're playing church because life is good. And your lips honor me, but your hearts are really far from me. And he said, the way that I can tell your heart is far from me is you have no deeper desire to seek out more. You are willing to put up with surface level spirituality as long as everything else in your life is good. And he said, the Messiah will come and he will prove whose hearts are hungry for God and who just has a surface level faith by using parables because he'll speak parables and people with a surface level faith will think that wasn't a very good message. I'm not going back to that church. It's not entertaining enough. But people whose hearts are really deeply stirred will find the teacher afterwards and say, explain that to me a little more. The use of parables would detect the reality of a spiritual heartbeat. The use of parables would distinguish between those who had a head faith And those who had a heart faith, the use of parables would distinguish between those who craved learning about God versus those who wanted to live for God. You could say it this way. A parable is a stethoscope that detects whether or not you have a spiritual heartbeat. Because the heartbeat hears a story and says, God, there's got to be more. they, They always want to go deeper. They have this hunger and this thirst. So a parable is this earthly story that's revealed to have a spiritual meaning for those who just want more. They just, they're just on a desire to know more and have more of God. We got a crazy idea two years ago. Uh, at the end of 2016, as our church was beginning to grow, and, and we, do a, uh, we, we have a small group format that not all our small groups use, but some of them do, where they will hear the message on Sunday, and then they'll go talk about it afterwards. Uh, and, and I'll be honest with you, I wish I could lead every small group. I wish that every time I preached a message, I could have a thousand meetings afterwards and just say, okay, what questions do you have? Like that, that is my heart. So I started asking our staff, how do I answer questions about the message to all of our church? What, what could we put in place where after I preach for people who think, man, I've got a question about that, or I want to know more about that. What could we do to help people learn more about the message? You know, what if we start, like, what if we start a podcast? And the podcast would take the message and just kind of ask questions, clarifying questions, deeper questions. Um, We could start a podcast. And we thought we would do it just for our small group leaders. We hope 20 or 30 people might listen to it. We started it in January of 2017. We just recorded this week our 89th episode of the Activate podcast. And we've had more than 70,000 people download an episode. Right now, more than 1,000 people every week listen to the Activate podcast. More people listen to the podcast than come to church. Which tells me, I think, hopefully, that people, after they hear a message, they think, I'd like to know more about that. 
I think that has stirred a hunger in me. I, I think, you know, I've, I've heard this truth, but how do I really activate that truth in my life and apply it? My prayer is that our church has the heartbeat of the people that Jesus was talking about in Matthew 5, 6, when he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus says, I am just going to set the table with parables, and then people who are hungry will pull up a seat and say, let's talk deeper about this. That's why Jesus taught in parables. That's why Jesus used parables. They separate those with a deep hunger for a relationship with God versus those who are just kind of participating in religious exercises and they really haven't come to sing or learn. They're just at church because they feel like church is maybe a good omen for the week ahead for them. So what is a parable? Second question, what is this parable? What is a parable? Kind of keep those notes close. We're gonna talk about parables all summer long, but a better question, what is this parable? It's just three verses. Jesus is throwing out two things. In Mark 40, verses 30 through 31, let's, let's look at this short little parable. Two things that are compared. Here's what Jesus says in verses 30 and 31. What shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable should we use to describe it? And then he goes on to say this. It's like a mustard seed. Here's the parable. Kingdom of God mustard seed. Let's throw these two. It's the smallest of all the seeds on earth, but Jesus says as it grows, it becomes someplace that has lots of impact for everyone. What is this parable? Today's parable lays out two things side by side. and said, if you want to know more about one, look at the other. A is the kingdom of God. She said, what should we say the kingdom of God is like? People are interested in the kingdom of God. How do I describe that? The kingdom of God is like let her be a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is, is like, it's like a mustard seed. Now, a mustard seed is easy to see. We're getting ready to take our largest trip to Israel as a church in January of 2020. I think we've got over 40 people now on that trip. One of the places we will go is Mount Arbel overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And on top of Mount Arbel, you have all these wild mustard seed plants. And, and we'll take one while we're there. And I'll, I'll have you crack it open and you will see a mustard seed. Go to the picture, Ash, if you would. A mustard seed is about that size right there. It's the size. Each pod holds two. And it's the size of like if you would take a pin and just like, like dot your finger with it, put a, look, put a pin mark, that's how big a mustard seed is. For those of you who are at our video teaching campus today, I bet you can't even see it on this screen. You probably have to use the big screens um, to see it. Mustard seeds are, are tiny. But when they're planted and they grow, if you walk up on a field of mustard seeds, you, you have plants that have grown up big enough that you can get lost in them. They'll get stuck to you as you walk through them. And places where birds can have nests and small animals can actually be protected. Mustard seeds, pretty easy to see. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. In Israel, they would have absolutely known what a mustard seed was. Now, hopefully, you know a little bit more about mustard seeds. He said the kingdom of God is like that. The kingdom of God is harder to define, which is why having a parable helps. Jesus said, what should I say the parable of the kingdom of heaven is like? The kingdom of God is a kingdom, spiritually speaking. If we were just to dig into the answers to, hey, help me understand that a little more. The kingdom of God is a kingdom that first is internal. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is something that gets planted in your heart with a very, very small seed. The kingdom of God is, first of all, something that is internal. It's, plant, it's a seed that gets planted in you. The seed of the gospel that says that God loves you. 
This says that God wants to be connected to you, but your sin disconnects you from God. But Jesus came to live for you and to teach you how to live for God and to die the death that your sin deserved and then to raise to life so that one day you could have eternal life. When that seed of the gospel gets planted in you, God is good and God is love. And even though I'm separated, Jesus connects us. When that seed begins to plant in your heart, the kingdom of God for you becomes internal. But as it grows, it becomes, next bullet point, external. The kingdom of God always begins internal. It's the seed of the gospel that is planted in your heart. But as you begin to lean into that and as you begin to learn about that, the kingdom of God in you becomes external. You say, what does it look like? It looks like fruit. There are nine of them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The kingdom of God internally, as it begins to grow, all of a sudden your character, your attitude, your temperament begin to change. When the kingdom of God becomes external, you begin to look like, act like, react like, more like Jesus than the old person before you met Jesus. Your character changes. More than that, you begin to develop and understand that God has given you these spiritual gifts. God's given you some ability and some experiences and, and some things in your life that can help the church that you're at, that you can serve at. And all of a sudden, you begin to live a life of spiritual impact. All of a sudden, you begin to live a life on mission. You used to always be able to do what you did well, but now you also do that and, and you help the kingdom of God with that. The kingdom of God is internal. It's external. And eventually, it's eternal. Eventually. But I think sometimes what we fail to do as a church is we focus so much on the external or the eternal that we don't grow the internal and we don't see the external. We say, hey, plant this mustard seed and one day you'll go to heaven. When the reality is the mustard seed is supposed to grow in you until it, the character traits of the spirit come out of you, the gifts that you use begin to be used by you, and one day you look forward to going to heaven, but like the apostle Paul, you say, first, I want to go to heaven, but while I am here, the external kingdom of God is going to flow through me so others are impacted positively. It's why Jesus said in Matthew 6.10 when he taught us the Lord's prayer, pray these words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I prayed today, before I came here, that this week, God's kingdom would come and his will would be done in Lee Summit and in Panama City Beach, Florida, as it would be in heaven. Anytime I'm in any city and I'm doing ministry, I will pray that God's kingdom will come and his will will be done in that place, just like it would be done in heaven. We're going, for those of you thinking, why Panama City Beach, Florida? I just love the beach. No, because we're going to youth camp this week and we'll have 300 of our students and leaders who are at youth camp, hopefully seeking a God. And, and, and I want the kingdom internal, external to be visible there, the mustard seed gets laid alongside the kingdom of God, and there are some parallels to them. What are the parallels of this parable? Number one, the kingdom of God in the world at the time of Jesus was small, very small. You could barely see it, but it would turn into a huge global movement. Jesus said the kingdom of God is going to be like the mustard seed. It's really small now, but I promise you it's going to grow. Number two, the kingdom of God was barely visible in the world at the time of Jesus. You wouldn't have been able to see it unless probably you were in the shadow of Jesus. But it would become a place where all the world would one day come for rest and for protection and for nurturing. I mean, let's think about this small thing that's become a big thing. Seven weeks after Jesus' resurrection, there were only 120 followers of Jesus in the world. The kingdom of God literally fit in one room of one house in Jerusalem. There were 120 of them. And then the Holy Spirit fell, and 300 years later, most of the developed world 
Literally from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean, within 300 years, most of the developed world had heard about Jesus and there were churches literally from the edge of England all the way to the edge of Asia in 300 years. And today, nearly one out of three people on planet Earth, more than two billion people, would say that Christianity is their spiritual home. You and I both know not all of them are following Jesus. Not all of them may really be Christians, but what they're saying is when I need protection, when I need rest, that's, that's where I go. That's, that's the place I take shelter when I need spiritual shelter. Jesus said, what's really small, what, what used to fit in one room is going to fill the world. It's going to help people. That's kind of the macro kingdom of God. But Jesus says that's also what's happening in, in your heart. Number three, this applies to us spiritually as well. The kingdom of God, it begins as a small seed in the heart of a person. Maybe it has been planted in your heart. Maybe you responded to the seed of the gospel at Christmas or at Easter or at Mother's Day or at some youth camp when you were a teenager or vacation Bible school when you were a kid. You heard that God loved you and wanted to connect you, but the only person that could make that happen was Jesus. And, and you said, yes, God, plant that seed in my heart. And maybe that's all it is. It's a seed, but it's, it's been planted. If that seed number four has really been planted in you, here's what you need to know. It's going to continue to take up more space in you as you live. It's not going to remain a seed. It's going, to, it's going to begin to grow. It's going to begin to take over more of your heart and then more of your life, then more of your attitude, then more of your actions. It's, it's going to transform who you are. If we go just a few verses back to Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 28, Jesus is in a series of parables saying, mm, let me try to help you understand what the kingdom of God is like. And in verses 26 through 28, he says, here's, here's another picture of the kingdom of God. Here's, here's how this thing works in your heart. And, and he said this, is, this, he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts in it and it grows, though he, he doesn't even know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. Jesus said, if the kingdom of God is in you, you won't even always know how it grows. You certainly can't take responsibility for it. But Jesus, I promise you, if the, if the mustard seed is planted, it is growing. And eventually the internal wants to become external. Because watch this, number five, if the seed of the kingdom of God has really been planted in you, then your life will become a spiritual refuge for other people. The internal becomes external. The external becomes helpful and impactful to others. A parable reveals and searches out a hungry heart. This parable reveals and promises a growing heart if the seed of the gospel has been planted in you. But we have to get to question number three. What's the point? All right, good lessons I've learned, but you said it's not a classroom, it's a church service that I wasn't supposed to just learn. I was supposed to grow, I was supposed to develop. So what's the, what's the point for me? How do I go from learning to living? Great question. And remember, the spiritual truth of parables often was only ultimately found in questions and answers. So let's ask a couple questions. Three key questions from the parable of the mustard seed. Three key questions from the parable of the mustard seed. What's the point? Here's the point. Number one, is your faith growing? Is your faith growing? You've learned what a parable is. You've even learned what this parable is. Now let's apply it to you. Is your faith growing? You say, what does, what does that even mean? It's, it's hard to measure sometimes. John MacArthur, who's a, a pastor and a scholar in New Testament language and in New Testament scripture, has written on this parable. And he says this about growing faith. He says, all men are either progressing or regressing spiritually. No person remains static in their relationship with God. The longer 
a person knows and is faithful to Christ, the more his Lord, uh, the more his Lord is faithful to reveal his truth and power. At the same time, the longer a person rejects the knowledge of God that he has, whether much or little, the less of God's truth he will understand. So is, is your faith growing? The longer you've been engaged, do you just keep growing? Is the internal becoming external? Or the longer you're engaged, the more you have to ignore to continue to live the life you're living while trying to follow Jesus? And it just spiritual things just seem darker and darker. Is your faith growing? Number two, is your faith impactful to others yet? This is maybe easier to measure. Is your faith growing? It's a hard question, but I think it's one we could say, hey, I'm either moving forward or I'm, I'm sliding backwards. You never stay the same, but is your faith impactful to others yet? Is your character changing because the fruit is beginning to hang on the branches? Is your calling changing? God made me this way. He gave me these abilities. He gives me these experiences and I use them in life this way. But, but honestly, Christian, I'll be honest, when I'm doing my real job, I'm thinking about how I could use what God has given me for, for him because just everything has become about him. Is your calling changing? Is your faith impactful to others? where people can come and nest in who you are. We've, we've got birds that every spring try to build a nest. For years, what was on my grill, our, our deck is kind of raised on the second level of our house. And every year, the birds would fly in and they would try to build an, a huge nest inside my grill. And the first time I would turn it on, we, we would just eat bird for dinner. No, I'm, not, not, I'm just kidding. I'd have to clean it out. Eventually, I got a grill cover and it was like, hey, like, it was a message to the bird, you're not allowed to build a nest here. So they started building nests underneath our deck. And for years, we'd have five or six nests built and, ne- and never any eggs, never a bird. This year, I noticed kind of halfway through the season, a new nest. And then I would go to put Rudy out in the morning, my little dog, and I put Rudy out. And every morning when I put him out, as soon as I would open the door, this robin would like drop out of the deck and fly to a tree just 20 feet away. And it would sit in the tree and watch Rudy and I in the morning until we went back inside and it would fly back. And I would think, this, this bird must have some must have some eggs up there. Eventually, it got to the point where it realized that Rudy and I were harmless because I, I would see it and I'd kind of pull the curtain back and I'd see it sitting up there and I'd try to open the door real quiet and eventually it would just sit and look at us. So I'd walk out and I'd be like, good morning, bird. And it would like tweet back. It didn't tweet back. I, 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 in my head, it tweeted back. Um, I talked to my dog. I talked to animals. So I'd be like, good morning, little bird. And it would just kind of look at us um, and it wouldn't fly away. So these things must be like, they must be getting close. And I've, I've developed a relationship with this bird. We trust each other now. Um, and one morning I let Rudy out and I, and I hear the little ones just like kind of chirping their heads off. I thought, hey, the eggs have hatched. And for days you would hear them. And then after a week, you could finally kind of see the three little heads kind of poking down at us. And, and, and I started talking to the babies. Hey guys, good morning. And I would watch the mom sitting in the tree just 20 yards from us in my neighbor's yard who actually goes to our church. It would sit on the same branch every day. And then one day I walked out and these three heads had kind of been looking at us every day. And when I opened the door, all three flew the coop at the same time. We spooked them and they all almost hit the ground. It was like, boom, straight down. But they kind of got their wings underneath them and then they took off and ended up sitting on the exact same branch that their mom was sitting on. And I looked at Rudy and I was like, they made it. Like, like they made it, like this little bird family. Like we have like a little bit of responsibility for this little bird family. They, they have made it. We've given them protection. We've allowed them to be nurtured. We've given them kind of security from the storm. This, this little bird family has made it because they had a place with us that was safe. Let me ask you a question. How many people in your life spiritually are gonna make it because they're safe with your faith? Because you are their friend. 
they are nurtured. Because they work with you, they feel safe. Because they have your phone number, they feel secure. How many people have come and nested in your internal faith that has become so external that others find a spiritual home in it? That is the point of the parable of the mustard seed. And this is the question. Does your faith look like that yet? Because if it does, you're on the right track. And if not, keep watering. Keep watering so it can grow. Because individually and then as a church, I think number three, our church has to ask this question. Will we be a church that protects or punishes mustard seed-sized faith? I always have to challenge myself with this question as I get ready to go to youth camp. Because we're going to go to youth camp where a bunch of kids are going to have their hearts set on fire for Jesus for about two weeks. And then so many things return to normal. And it is really easy to be a critic that says they didn't mean any of it. It's not real. They don't care. But what we forget is how small faith begins. Actually, if you're listening back there to me in that room, would you go back to that picture, that hand holding the mustard seed on the screen for just a second? See, what I have to remember this week every time I preach is that if I do it well, This is what's being planted. I have to remember this week when kids come forward and make spiritual decisions that this is how big it is. And I have to remember when they get home and they start vaping again, and they will. They start smoking pot again, and they will. They fail with their boyfriends and girlfriends again, and they will. I have to be someone who doesn't in disgust knock that off their finger and say it's not real, it's not fast enough, you don't mean it. And I've got to say, you know what? Your faith is so little. I'm going to be patient with you and I'm going to protect it. I'm going to try to open the door a little quieter so that my dog and I don't scare you when we walk out in the morning. And let our church be a place where you can grow. I know it's going to take a lot of time because faith starts so little. But the mustard seed grows. And when internal becomes external, one day it'll be eternal, but that's for later. When the internal becomes external, then a hurting world can be helped by what has helped us. Let me ask you a question. What faith seeds are you going to plant this summer? What small seed can you plant? Or what seed has been planted that you have forgotten to water? Maybe you can plant a seed this, this week for this summer of spending daily time in scripture. My nephew, who is getting ready to go into eighth grade, has come down from Chicago. My nieces and nephews go to youth camp with us every year. And he told me yesterday over dinner, he's read his Bible every day for 247 days. He started the first day of school and he's not missed a day since school started. And I thought, man, that is awesome. That started as a small seed. That's growing though. Maybe a deeper prayer life this summer. Maybe God's been saying, plant that seed. Start, start little, but start. Maybe some times of fasting. You have things you've not been able to figure out any other way but desperation. And you're going to tell God, God, every day for the next week, I'm not going to eat lunch. At lunch, I'm going to go to my car and I'm just going to pray for 30 minutes. I'm going to pour into prayer rather than food. I need a breakthrough in my life. Maybe a family discipleship night. Tried to start it in January. School year's been so crazy. Try again. Maybe you're finally going to engage in serving. We need some help in serving. At the end of the service, I'm going to give you a chance. Maybe you've been waiting. Start small, once a month. 
Maybe you can add the Activate podcast to your spiritual routine on Monday. You can listen to it on the way to work and try to just add a little more depth to what you've been hearing. Maybe it's time to finally invite a friend to church that you've been talking to that you notice has been hurting. Maybe it's time to start giving. You've, you didn't give because you were always so tight, but now God's beginning to move a little bit and, and you can begin to be generous with your mind. And, and there are hundreds of others, small seeds, that if you will plant them this summer and be faithful to water them, maybe by the end of the summer, God will begin to take what's internal and make it external and what's external becomes impactful to the world. What faith seeds do you need to plant this summer? Ask God, if you're a Christian, to help you protect, to parent people you see who you believe small seeds of faith have been planted, but you, you can't really see it yet. Don't punish it, protect it, breathe life on it. We're gonna talk next week about how to water seeds, parents that have been planted. And ask God to plant seeds in you that'll become external so the world can use them. Use us to be a nest for little birds that just need a little time to get their wings under them so they can go start living for God like we have. We bow your heads and pray with me as we pray this morning.